Aliens and flying saucers. Hey, welcome to the 45th episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the wonderful MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to... Whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today we're taking a huge unconventional turn off the beaten path. And I'm insanely psyched about it. My guest is Dave Coverley, the creator of the hilarious cartoon panel Speed Bump, which runs nationally and internationally in some 400 newspapers and websites, ranging from the Washington Post to the Detroit Free Press to the Toronto Globe and Mail. And what I want to discuss is being funny, really writing funny and sharp. No gimmicks, no nonsense. Just how to take an idea in your head, translate it to paper, and still make people laugh. So let's get giggly, <laughs> right now, on Two Writers, Slinging Yang. Okay, so uh, Dave, first of all, thank you for uh, thank you for doing this. And I have a question. You, um, when I told you um, I was going to be five minutes late, you said it's no big deal. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm writing anyway. I'm just sitting here writing. So where are you exactly? Where do you write? Where do I write? Um, that's actually a great place to start because uh, I, I actually, me personally, I write up in my attic studio. So I have an old, like 100-year-old house, and we were lucky enough to find one that had a, a finished attic. Uh, so I've got a space up here that's separate from everybody else, and uh, I personally need quiet when I write. That's you know, I, I've got a lot of friends who are cartoonists who go to coffee shops or whatever, and I know you do some of that too. I do. Um, yeah, and, and I get it, except except that um, man, distractions just send me off the off on tangents that I can't get back from. Right. Uh, so I need I need my little quiet space up here on top of the house to to uh, just ruminate, see what happens. Wait, so I'm actually interested when people do this, and and this is yeah. it's not actually where I thought we were going to start here, but I'm kind of fascinated mm-hmm. by it. you. You go about your morning, you have your breakfast, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, wife, kids, I don't, you know, and then do you literally walk up the steps, go into this <laughs> attic. Do you have a drink with you? Do you sit there? Like, what do you, what is the actual transition from being a human to being an isolated, you know, mouse in a, in a, in a small space? Yeah. It's what a lot of us call it our commute time. Cause it is, it's, it's literally, you know, get up, make a bagel or whatever, make some coffee and then, yeah, just carry it up the stairs. So, you know, this is like the third floor basically. So, um, my commute is two, two flights of stairs, close the door behind me. Uh, open the blinds and turn on my computer and that's pretty much it. So instead of sort of driving a half an hour or something and having that time to get ready for work, uh, I'm like, that's the thing about working at home. I'm sure you've, you've experienced this too, is like, you can always work. That's, it's kind of the problem. It's like, you know, most people feel like it'd be convenient, but it's always kind of a, like you can always work. And so you have to tell yourself not to work sometimes. Um, and so for me, it's just like, I come up here and I think, uh, I don't want to start immediately. Like, I don't know, um, how most writers work that way, but you know, people I know that write novels and things that, you know, they get up at like four thirty-five in the morning and they write before their day starts. And I'm like, man, I, I have to do the opposite. Like I need to right. sort of ease into the day a little bit. And so I'll just like read the news and have a bite to eat and, and just see what people are talking about, which is actually helpful to me with my cartoons. It's but do you not of, feel you know, isolated? Do you not feel isolated up there? Um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, because I actually like being, I, I actually like being alone. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Um, and then, you know, then I can go out and get my, get my fix of human beings when I need it. But you know, my wife is at home. Uh, she's, uh, she doesn't work out of the house. She works in the house. Uh, so I always have somebody around if I want. And we, you know, we've got a yappy dog. <laughs> so it's not like I'm in a cave. Uh, I'm constantly hearing the dog up to something. Um, or, my phone ringing or telephone, that kind of thing. right? Nobody yeah, knows. right, right, right. Uh, so it's you know it's like there's always something going on around here. Uh, so I don't feel that isolated. It's not it's not bad at all, right? So I'm staring at one of your strips that I um, I was showing around the house last night, and I showed it to my daughter who's 14, almost 15. I showed it to my son who's 11. I showed it to the wife, and we all laughed and laughed and laughed. And I've never. This is different for this podcast because I've never done a visual medium where I've tried to explain it. But it's it's a little boy and an old man on a couch, 
And the little boy turns to the old man and it, it's just him saying, and he says, yeah, well, I didn't believe in reincarnation when I was your age either. <laughs> and I did. I'm so, so, so glad you picked that one. Oh, it's so funny. So I just, uh, I'm really thanks. fascinated in the Genesis to the execution. Like what made you even think of that? <laughs> that's a, see, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, don't you feel like that even with your own work is like when some pe people ask you, how did you, how did you like, even how did you write that sentence or how did you come up with that book idea or something is it reminds me of, there's this great cartoon by Sidney Harris. He's like an old cartoonist in New Yorker. And, um, and, um, he did this cartoon, like that classic scene of two scientists and they're standing at a chalkboard, which is like a cartoon you wouldn't see anymore because they don't really do chalkboards, but, uh, and it's just, it's totally covered in figures and numbers and letters and all that kind of, you know, cartoonist shorthand for a scientist doing smart things. But right in the middle is like a blank space and it just says, and then a miracle occurs. And I always feel like, <laughs> like when you get an idea, you, you have all this stuff jumbling around in your head. Um, but there's still that moment that you can't explain where the, like the stuff in your head comes together. And so, you know, it's like, like the, the, the left half of your brain is really organized and it takes, it takes meaning literally. And it's like kind of an hyperactor drive all the time. Whereas the right side of your brain is sort of chill, you know, it's just kind of hanging out and, and, uh, waiting for the left brain to <laughs> sort of settle down and looking for connotations and meanings and that kind of thing. Uh, and so I feel like that, that idea, um, was just thinking about, about reincarnation in general, and then just putting different, different, um, situations into that. So you're like thinking about what if, you know, what if a dog and a cat were talking about reincarnation? What if a giraffe and a koala were talking about, you know, just, you start, your brain just starts mixing and matching, um, you know, qu more quickly than, than you know it is. But a lot of my job is just sort of what if, what if this happened? What if that happened? Uh, and so, you know, what, you know, what if you had a, a little kid who was reincarnated and, you know, that you eventually come around to that moment where a kid is talking about reincarnation and if they're talking to an old person, you're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> that, that, that would make sense, but it doesn't make sense. You know, when you, when you just, that's the thing about humor, um, is that it's, it's all based on unpredictability. So when you come up with an idea, there's like a work involved behind it, but you, it needs to make sense to the person, like your family reading it for the first time, there has to be a, like a logic to it. Right. And I mean, just for it to be funny. Right. Um, so, so my job is to take all that stupid crap into my head that, finally came up with that cartoon um, and then have it make sense the first time you read it and be sort of surprised since you didn't come to it the same way I came to it. Like this is like a lot of cartoonists talk about this is well, we get in trouble and we do our bad ideas, which I've done a million of is when you start out thinking like, Oh, I'm going to do a cartoon about a toaster. Then you just follow that path to the toaster cartoon. And next thing you know, you're doing a cartoon, you know, about two whales and, and, and to you it's funny, but you didn't, nobody else started out at toaster. They just started right. out, they, they, they open the paper and they see two whales and they're like, what the hell? And they, that joke doesn't really make sense to them because they didn't follow that trajectory that you followed inside your brain. So it's really tricky to sort of know, to, to see that, to see a cartoon you came up with, to see it the same way a reader's going to see it. That's, that's sort of the, the work of it, I guess. It's really interesting because, um, I always say like, I've never written a book or even an article with the thinking, oh, you know what? The audience is really going to like this. Readers are really going to like that. I always think like, I need to like it. And if I think something yes. is funny or I think something is heartbreaking or I think something is emotional, um, I've got to think other people will too. Yes. Uh, same way with, same way in your world. Oh, absolutely. That was, in fact, that's, that's interesting because that's the, the first piece of advice I got from a professional cartoonist, um, was that exact thing was, I, so I, when I was in graduate school and in, you know, it would, in cartooning, you don't really can't, you don't go to school and like get a degree in cartooning. You sort of have to figure it out on your own and then talk to people who have already done it and get advice and that kind of thing. So I, I did that bold thing where I, where I sent a bunch of my cartoons to one of my heroes, a guy named Mike Peters, his mother goose and grim and Pulitzer prize winning political cartoonist and just an all around great guy. And, uh, um, and you were at Eastern Michigan at this time. Um, at this time I was, I was in graduate school. So I was at Indiana university. Okay. But, um, but I was in between. I was in between years and I just met my wife and we were living together. Um, so I was kind of trying to figure out like professional path at that point. And so I thought I need, I need feedback from other cartoonists. And so I just mail, mailed it to him blind and he's one of those kind of hyper guys is super great. And so my phone rings at seven o'clock one morning 
And I'm like in bed. I'm like, what the hell's calling me at seven o'clock in the morning? It's like, Dave, hey, it's Mike Peters. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, it's Mike Peters. He's like, he's like, I got your cartoons and they're amazing. And he starts reading them. And he's like reading them to his wife in the background. And man, it made so much difference because I thought, oh, this is like somebody who knows what they're doing and being not only being nice about it, but making the effort to like reach out to let me know he liked them. Um, and that was the thing. It, you know, he said uh, two things. He said, you got to draw more because <laughs> my drawings were shitty. And um, he said, you got to make yourself laugh. That's the, the number one rule when you do this kind of stuff is to make yourself laugh because you can't, you, you know, humor and anything like anything creative is so subjective. So, you know, even, even with your books, anything, I mean, it's just like, you don't know what people are going to like. And if you, if you try to figure that shit out, it's impossible. It'll, it'll drive you crazy and it'll make your work um, lesser. So if you can make yourself laugh, you just got to assume that you're sort of enough like everybody else that if you, if you find it funny, then some other people are going to find it funny. And, uh, and I, and I never assume that everybody's going to find like all my cartoons funny. That just goes with the territory. It's like, some people might like a few and some people might like a different one. You know, it's just because it's, it's all all depends on your life experience and what you find humorous or what you find interesting. Do people yeah. let you know when you when they don't find you funny? Do you get a lot of letters like that was a stupid cartoon or blah, blah, blah? No, not so much. Um, most of my email is I don't get like zillion emails or anything, but most of my most of my correspondence is like really positive. Um, it's but it's but it's generally not the other way. It's It's, it's generally not. Oh, I hate your cartoons or, Oh, I, I love your cartoons. It, it almost is always spurred on by like a specific topic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody will read a cartoon and they'll, and they'll be in a knitting club and it'll be a knitting cartoon. They're like, Oh, I love the knitting cartoon because that's their interest. You know, I right. mean, um, so it, it, that's why I tend to, when I try and when I think of ideas, I'm trying to think like as broad as possible, uh, things we all have in common because and that's why I do a lot of dog cartoons and some cat cartoons because lots of people like dogs. And I happen to love dogs. And so uh, if I start doing cartoons, they're really, really specific about like what you need to put into your garden for this, that, or the other. You know, if I, like I did research into stuff, then I think I'd lose a lot of my audience. I'd lose some of the humor because you can't, you can't get too specific with these things. Otherwise you lose a lot of people. So yeah, and it's like, so I think it's very much in some ways it's like the opposite of, of how you work probably because I know you, you must just do just, Hours and hours of research. I can't even, I can't even get my brain around like how much research you must have to do for your books. Um, whereas I do zero. Wait, let me say this. Do you, um, were you always a good artist? Like, was that a, was that your base skill? No. Well, I mean, you know, so here's the thing, like all, all, and you see with your kids, I'm sure like all kids like to draw or 90, 95% of little kids like to draw. And, and then it, they don't worry about whether they're good or bad. You know, they just, you know, when you're five and you draw a giraffe, you're like, man, that's a great fucking giraffe. I just drew the best giraffe. It doesn't matter if it looks like, you know, a narwhal or whatever. It's just like, you're so happy with it. Uh, and then you get to be like 11, 12, 13 and you try and draw a giraffe and it's not how you want it to look. You know, it's just like your, your skill set doesn't match your ambitions. And so, Lots of, lots of kids, uh, most kids get sort of frustrated with it's not very fun anymore. Uh, and, and sort of move on to other things. Um, and so I, th- I had like, I had just enough natural ability to do things that I, I wasn't that frustrated. Um, I was still, you know, still frustrated enough like anybody, but I, I enjoyed the process so much that it was worth sort of getting through. But the most important part, and this is like true for everybody, but it's like the most important part for me was, two things, having parents that just totally encouraged me all the time. And, um, but having a couple teachers, man, if you have a, if you have a teacher or two, it's encouraging, uh, is positive. Um, you know, it gives you a pat in the back about things. That's so important, you know, it's just because parents, you expect them to be nice to you right. <laughs> in general. Like, you know, if, you're, if your mom says you suck at drawing, it's probably a good time to give up. But if you have a teacher, that's that says no no you should keep doing this um that'll that'll get you through a lot of hard times that'll get you through a lot of times that, you, that maybe you don't think you're so great if somebody else thinks you're kind of great and i had a my journalism teacher in high school you know he i was doing cartoons and you know you know just they're fine and um but for some reason he's he sort of he saw that i loved it and so he started bringing in new yorker magazines for me to to, to read the cartoons and you know, obviously i didn't understand like three quarters of them but 
and I could tell they were about something and they were, they were sort of bigger than just like a joke. And, um, man, I love that. I love the, and I even love the fact that I didn't understand them all the time because right. I knew that there's something was going on that I was missing. And so I, I just studied those things. I cut them out. I made like, you know, I did that whole thing that kids do with sports and they're in like magazine articles and stuff. I just cut out cartoons I loved and put them in a, in a photo album and just go back to it. Uh, just, awesome. just, let's well, just study. I mean, like you don't go to school for it. So you just, just study them, you know? Right. Uh, I think this, I'm sure that's true with all kinds of writing. It's like you, you like a certain kind of writing. And so you want to do that kind of writing because you like it. You know, it's just, you, you have a sort of, this is like an Ira Glass quote that I'm mangling, but you have a certain, um, you have good taste and you, and you want to be like that, but you can't quite reach it. But right. you keep, you keep, you know, aiming for that certain style. Uh, and you know, it just, the only way to get to that, the only way to get good at it or at least competent is to just plow through doing it over and over and over and getting all the bad work out of the way, you know, put hours and hours in at any, anything creative. Uh, so you just got to enjoy the process. Basically. You said something that I actually love and I, I, I've never heard it stated before, but I thought about it all the time, which is some of the things I love the most as a kid and still love the most are things that I don't understand. And I'll need to either look up in a dictionary or ask the person next to me, like what, or a song lyric that I'm like, what is oh, he saying there? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times we're, we're, I feel like there's a real effort to dumb things down where, sure. no, they need to explain you're going to lose them. Like I, there are times when um, I'll read an article and there'll be a word I don't understand. And generally I've had editors tell me throughout life, that's a bad thing. And I've always thought, why is it so bad that a person takes a second to look up a word? Why yeah. is that so horrible? I kind of think, in, I almost think the opposite. I think there's a beauty in it. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think there's a beauty. And I think there's actually, um, that's part of the point. You know, that's, that's part of why we, part of why we read. That's part of why we, why we look at art. Uh, you know, it's like, you, you, you don't go to the National Gallery and look at these painting, beautiful paintings and go like, oh, and then, ex you know, explain to the person next to you, like all the nuances and, you know, you don't know all those things. And part, part of the beauty of it is you want to know those things. That's why you're doing it. If, if you understood everything, it'd be, life would be just so freaking boring. Right. You know, it's just like, and I, I even had that advice from, um, I do children's books and, um, my editors, you know, she encouraged us to put some words in there that were maybe a little bit too old for kids. You know, make, you know, not, not too many of them because they get bored, but right. a couple <laughs> words here and there that they're like, Oh, what's that word? And it made, it made them ask or look it up. Um, and that, that's how you, that's how you get smarter. And, that's, and I think as, as any kind of creative person, artist, writer, whatever, um, you're going to do more interesting work if you're a more interesting person. So it's just, it's all about sort of input before you have output, you know? And I, I, I try and tell like high school kids, especially, don't just lock yourself in your room and draw and write and all that kind of stuff. Go out and live. I mean, you got to, you got to absorb some stuff to actually have something to say. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of the opposite of what the, of the, um, cliche is of like sort of the, the crazy tussled haired writer or the, or the artist up in the attic, but you gotta, you gotta like have a life. You know? I mean, it's right. The only, I, I, as much as you know, we've had this conversation. I, and you're so good at social media and I'm so bad at it. And the only reason I sort of pay attention to it is just because I want to know what people are talking about. Otherwise, I would just curl up in the fetal position in my attic. <laughs> think of cartoon ideas probably. <laughs> Which you're doing right now, actually. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in my boxers in the fetal position right now. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my son, Emmett. So, Emmett, I think I want to write a theme song for 503 Sports. You know, like try something new. That seems like a terrible idea. Just let me try. Uh, okay. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with my brand new invention. Something. Dad, stop. Why? That's Ice's baby by Vanilla Ice. Oh. This here's a tale for all the fellas. Try and do what those Dad, ladies... Dad, What? That's bust to move. Oh. Why don't you just say that 503 Sports is all about throwback and they sell all sorts of amazing jerseys and hats and t-shirts. On Fleeky? Yeah. And they have stuff from all the leagues, USFL, WFL, XFL, even Portland State. I also mentioned that the merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like me, MC Pearly Pearl, Dad. and go to 503-sports.com. Also, type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. 
Let me ask you this. How do you, it's a, I'm going to give you a real basic question, but it's, it's, there's sure. a bigger thing to it. How do you, because I think this is universal. I think it does not just apply to your world. It doesn't just apply to my world. It kind of crosses them all. How do you write funny? Uh, how do you write funny? What a great question. Um, writing funny is, it's, it's all about surprise, isn't it? I mean, you, it's, it's go, it kind of goes back to just sort of making yourself laugh, but you, yeah, you're, you're right. The question is, how do you go from writing anything to, to writing it? So it's funny. And I, boy, it's just, um, because the idea in your head isn't the yeah. idea that ends up on paper. Like in your head, it's right, a much bigger, right. I imagine it starts as this big sort of, it could be a million words. Oh, there's this thing and it'd be really funny and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But then when I'm staring at it, it's you, it's your strip with an illustration and maybe 17 words max. Yeah, right. Right. It, it, what is, how it starts is, um, so here's the, here's the sort of common misperception is that people who write funny, or maybe some people do this, but for me and most people I know, you know, like at the grocery store shopping and you, all of a sudden you have a, like a full blown cartoon idea. It just, I mean, like the, the muse and the inspiration rarely hits like a lightning bolt. That's just, that rarely happens. Um, it's all about sort of what's like, what is the cartoon going to be about? It's, it's, it's all about the subject matter. So you start writing things down that are, you know, you know, trees and sewer, sewer caps. And, you know, just like you start writing things down that what you, things you can work with, but things that other people know about. Um, and so then you start just sort of twisting them like, okay, if you did this, then what if, what if you did that? Um, and so there's like a little moment where you sort of like, like, like an idea kind of is sort of hazy. You're like, you can kind of see it in the distance or over the curve of the horizon. You know that maybe something's there. Um, and so you're just chasing it. You're like, okay, what, what if this happened? What if that happened? What, how do you, how do you put these things together? So it's all about taking disparate things and sort of putting them together into something new. And then the new thing is where the surprise comes. And so somebody who hadn't thought of those two things together, for example, um, I'm trying to do a cartoon about, um, I had this idea, like, I, I, got, I want to do a cartoon about Uber because it's now it's big and popular enough that it's like in the, sort of in the lexicon. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, what if, you know, what if you're in an Uber and then like it's dueling with a taxi or if, what, what if uh, Uber is like a bus size or what, who, who knows? And so I started putting things in and I'm like, what if a dog was driving an Uber? Like, what would a dog, what would a dog do if a dog was driving an Uber? Like, who, who would the dog pick up? I couldn't think of anything. And it's like, then the, what if the dog, like, track down an uber what if a dog was in an uber and what did so like what do dogs do and then they they poop right <laughs> the first thing you think of when you think a dog is like dogs taking shit and so i'm like poop okay and then all of a sudden in your brain it's just like uber and poop rhyme right so it's like then you're like you got pooper and it's like oh okay pooper so then you got okay now you got like the pun but you don't want to stop there you, get, you have to actually make a joke uh so then the dog's you know in the car and it's pooper then what would you be doing you'd be looking for a place to poop so then you gotta figure out like, uh, like what would a dog say if a dog was in an Uber <laughs> looking for a place to put money? It's like there's all these little steps to it. Right. Uh, and fortunately in, the, in, for that cartoon, um, dogs actually have a very specific thing that they do. <laughs> they look for a place to poop, which everybody knows about, which is like sort of walking in little circles. You know, they're very specific about where they, where they need to go. Uh, and so they get smaller and smaller circles until they actually just squat down and go. Um, so just having the dog say that to the driver and then, you know, having a human driver and the dogs just saying like, just drive in small circles until I tell you to stop. Um, then it becomes like an obvious joke at that point to me. Then, okay. All the parts came together and it works, but you don't think, in, it's not like you're walking around and you go, Hey, poober, you know, this just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Um, right. So the, the trick to all this, and you, I'm sure it's the exact same for you. The trick to, to writing anything is, uh, is hiding the work. And so, you know, you, like you said, getting down to like 17 words, that's, that's the huge part of the trick is then you, you, you hide how you got to it. Um, and then you, you, I'm sure you have this too, is like you have a, one of the biggest things about writing that people don't really think about is that you spend most of your time editing, you know, it's, it's not even really writing. It's, it's just like, you've got some stuff and then you're, and then you're tailoring it to yourself, right. your self editing. That's a, that's a huge part of my job because I, I find this doesn't really answer the the writing funny question, but it is part of it is that it gets the, the the more streamlined you can make it, the funnier it gets because the less time it takes for somebody to get the joke, 
the funnier it is. If you have to, if you have to really get super wordy and explain the joke, it's, um, especially what I do, it's just time really, um, lessens humor in, in, in cartoons. And so if you, if it, if it takes too long to get the joke or if, it, if, if in the drawing, you've got like too much going on, uh, it sort of, it sort of dampens the whole thing. So editing is a huge part of that, of the humor process. But like you said, it's like, I don't, I just do what I find funny and, uh, hope, hope that some other people find, you know, hope at least like my family finds it funny. Do you run it by, I don't know. You said your wife works out of the house. Did you, will you run things by your wife or do you, is that poison for you? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, well, yeah, no, I don't, I don't run it by anybody. Um, I, I tend to, so if I, if I, if I'm on the fence about something, I might ask my wife because she's not a huge cartoon person. Um, <laughs> she, she married, she married me despite what I do, not because of it. Um, but she, she's, she has a good sense of humor and she likes cartoons. Um, but in, in a very just sort of regular way. So if, if I have a question, um, she's a really good person to ask because she's sort of a very regular reader of cartoons. Uh, just like, you know, she has a, just a sort of a much more normal sense of humor than I have. Right. Uh, I have to sort of rein in the weirdness. And, um, so she'd be, she's a really good barometer. If she says, yeah, you should, you should go with that. And then, yeah, but she's, uh, to her credit, she's, she can be nice and blunt. Like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really get that one. So, right. you know, and I might think, why don't you get that one? But then it, but it still helps me because, okay, if you don't, then a lot of people won't. Um, cause you can get, you can, you know, you can get way too far up inside your own ass with this, this kind of stuff. Uh, right. Start, you, know, you start writing and then next thing you know, you've written for like seven hours. Um, but you don't even remember what you wrote. So interesting. Right. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good to have something like that, which I, I assume you do too. Um, I do, but I'm kind of like you a little bit. Um, it's weird. Like I do not enjoy, I don't really enjoy feedback that much. Does that make me a bad guy? <laughs> right, I, right, don't right. Love, I don't love, I don't love a million people. To, like I, um, yeah. I have an agent. He's a great agent. I never, mm -hmm. he would hate to hear this. I never show him my books and it's on purpose because I know he's going to, he probably feels like he needs to give me feedback because he's my agent and I'm paying him X amount. And I, I, I just feel like at the end of the day, I'm going to trust my own judgment most of all. So yeah. I, I don't know. Is that, is that a stupid way to be? Sometimes I feel like it is maybe. No, I think it's, I think it's, that's exactly what I do. And I, and, and I do the same reason though, is that it's, it's like, you, you don't want, you don't want feedback just for the sake of feedback for one thing. Um, and also these, you know, part of art is just whether it's good or bad is that it's, it's a, it's unique to the person. You know, I, I, I see this with cartoons is, um, some of these sort of done by committee or like, you know, there'd be more than one person involved. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they do well, they're popular, but they're just, it's just watered down to me. You know, it's not, it's not a unique voice. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have a unique voice that, that wasn't great than sort of a bland voice. I mean, you know, even when I do freelance illustration, the more people that if I turn in an illustration and they, and they say they got to run it by someone, I'm like, okay, you can run it by someone, but if they say they have to run it by a committee. I'm like, well, <laughs> Right. <laughs> so much for that. Cause right. you know, all it takes, if you have six people sitting around looking at something, one person says, I don't really like the fingernails. And another person's like, yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that, but no, I don't like the fingernails either. And then somebody's like emboldened to say, yeah, and the hair, what's up with the hair? You know, next thing you know, the drawing is like totally different and it's rejected. Um, whereas it might've been a perfectly fine drawing. You know, it's just sometimes people feel the need to, to say something. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Plus it's just, don't you find like it, it's more time consuming if you, if you write something and then you run it by people, you know, it's, oh, yeah. and we're, we're yeah. both on deadlines. So it's, uh, you don't you don't really have the luxury of sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to write this or draw this and then I'm just going to let it stew for six months. <laughs> it's like, well, no. I was actually just thinking when you were saying that, how I got to think you think the, the same way in this. I feel like my life for the last 20 years has been blessed because I've had a bare minimum number of meetings I've had to attend. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I feel the exact same way. I've had, I've had, I've had like literally one real job in my life, and uh, I got I got fired for having a freelance personality. It was like, wait, I what was your job? What was your real job? I, I was a, uh, it was at a PR firm, and I was I was the art department. I was the only person. I, I was an intern there to do art, and then uh, they hired me full time after the summer. 
but just to do the art. And so I was like the art department, but I was 23 and I, <laughs> I had no life experience whatsoever with this kind of thing. I thought, I just thought it was like, you know, some drawing experience. And then, but I was, I was sort of lured by the, by the salary and thought, oh man, I'm going to start my life. I'm going to have this job. And then, man, I had no idea what to do. So, I mean, they were, they were totally right to fire me, but it was not like you. I didn't enjoy sort of the meetings that it just felt like, um, I could be spending my time doing other things that were more suited to like me, you know, it just, they just feel like a big waste of time. So, right. Yeah. I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how meetings and creative things could possibly help each other. You know, I actually love this. So I remember when I started my job, my career, I was at the Nashville, Tennessee and I was a features writer and we'd have a meeting once a week to talk over what we were working on. And it would be the editor at the head of the table and then the assistant editor at the table and then a bunch of writers. And what always struck me about meetings is that someone would have something in their head to say. And even if the person two slots ahead of them said it already, they would feel compelled to say the same exact thing just to show that <laughs> right, they matter right. in the meeting. And that's when right, I first right. knew I really hated meetings. At that moment. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and nobody's really listening anyway. It's like, no people talk and no one else listens. And then, yeah, these, these drag on. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get that they, they exist and that they're important in lots of aspects of life, but not mine, not yours. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm staring at one of your strips that I, I, again, love, and it's from, uh, 2013. So we're going five years now, but it's, uh, it's two lemons, an adult lemon and a, 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 you know, a father lemon and a son lemon. And the father lemon, you know, wearing glasses, looking older, says to the little lemon, son, when life gives you to someone, run, because it's not going to end well. Which is, <laughs> I mean, I, again, that, I had to read that twice. And I was like, yeah, right, oh, right. that's so smart. Um, are you in a grocery store? Are you looking at lemons? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was just. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to remember exactly. Um, I, I definitely was not in a grocery store looking at lemons. I was definitely on my sitting on my futon, uh, just you know, throwing things against the wall, that kind of stuff. And uh, it, a lot of the cartoons start with phrases, you know, like "life gives you lemon, make lemonade." And then you, and then you start. This is this is sort of the, the inside baseball trick that some of us do, or at least I do, is like you write down the phrase, and then you put parentheses around some of the words. So then you can start sort of switching things in and out. Mm -hmm. um, so if like, you know, start thinking about like life gives you lemons and then what, if, what would a lemon say? You know, like how, how would that work for a lemon? And it's like, oh, well, that wouldn't be, you know, but then it's sort of immediately you go, oh, well, that would not end well for a lemon. That's like, that's like the worst thing a lemon could hear. Uh, so, and so then you got to figure out like, how are you going to, how are you going to get that across? To the, to the reader. So then, you know, and then that's the, that's the, you know, I'm sure you have this, these moments too. Is the, the, the most fun moment. And the reason I do this is that, that moment where you're like, Oh, and I get to draw like a dad lemon talking to a kid lemon. You know, that's, that's fun. That's the fun part when you know how the joke's going to work. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was going to, if, if that would work because the, the wording of that one's a little longer. And it, like you said, it takes a second, which is, that's the kind of humor I prefer. Like I like the sort of subtle, dry, mm -hmm. um, pause, um, and so then for some reason that one, that cartoon went, man, that went viral on Reddit. I don't know why it was crazy. Um, cause I didn't, that, that's not the kind of cartoon I expect to go. I expect more like fart jokes or butt jokes or something to go, to go around. Um, so that, that made me happy. So it's, and it's funny cause it, this goes back to another thing that we were talking about earlier. Um, I gave a presentation uh, last week to some high school kids in an auditorium and I showed that I usually show just like, <laughs> you know, the more scatological, immature humor, um, because it tends to get a quicker, quicker laugh, uh, on stage, especially. But I showed that reincarnation cartoon and I thought, I'm just going to show this because I had a couple of things to say about it more than just, I thought it, they uh -huh. would think it was funny. And that one got the biggest laugh. Uh, and I was, I was so happily surprised. And there was even a moment where the cartoon was up for a second, there's a pause and then they laughed. And then one girl goes, Oh, really loud <laughs> in the back of the auditorium. That's the like, best, I, right? It's like, I turn, I'm like, oh, I don't know who said that, but I love you because that is exactly what, like, a lot of us are going for with the humor. It's like you, it's a pause and then when it, when it and then when you get it, it's even better. Um, so, and, you know, I've shown that cartoon, like almost every presentation I've ever done. And most of the time it's kind of like a little chuckle here or there or something. And people kind of like, oh, yeah, they kind of get it. But 
high school students really laughed and I was like that, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> this is a whole different discussion about politics, but you know, I, I, I sort of fear for our future in some ways, but that made me feel really good for a moment about the future. Like these, right. these kids were really picking up on that. It was, it was fantastic. It's funny. I, if there's a least funny person in America award, I would give it to the, uh, Mike Huckabee, the former governor of Arkansas. And he, he's always writing these jokes on Twitter. For example, he, he tweeted, uh, this is last year. I, I literally just did a Google search for him and I came up with Mike, you know, a, a website that lists Mike Huckabee's terrible jokes. <laughs> really? He tweeted at one point, I'm vindicated. <laughs> Comey failed to implicate me today with Russian collaboration. He will later confirm I didn't kidnap the Lindbergh baby. God. Uh, so funny? not funny. Like, so not funny. What, what makes crap not funny? Like, what, what is, what is bad joke writing, bad strip writing? What, what is he not funny? Okay. Well, see, now, uh, now I'm not some expert, but that's not funny because it's a, the main reason it's not funny because it's, it's so narcissistic. It's yep. just, it's all about him. So, you know, nobody gives a shit about you, Mike. That's, that's the thing. So nobody, you know, we're not all like, you know, even your, even people who like Mike Huckabee aren't sitting around hoping that he does well. They don't really care. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the second thing is, is like, you're just, you're just pull, it's, it's way too random. You know, it's just like, it's that, that idea of, um, uh, putting two things together and then other people, when they see it, it like their brains put it together too because you showed it to them. Whereas that's just like, okay, that's a weird bridge. That's like a, that's a really odd idea in the first place. So, you know, it's just, it's like too much. It's too far. And it's just, it's just so fucking stupid. <laughs> what about this? Me... <laughs> what about this? I trust Bernie Sanders with my tax dollars. Like I trust a North Korean chef with my Labrador. <laughs> God. Well, uh, you know, Besides the racist element. <laughs> Otherwise, great. Otherwise, <laughs> Otherwise great. great, right. <laughs> no, you know, and this, okay, so that's actually, I'm glad you brought these up because this is, this is the one thing I really try to go for with humor. And this is part of the reason I think these aren't working either is that like, I, I really like gentle humor. It might be weird and goofy and stuff, but it, you have to do a humor that doesn't make fun of somebody or, or other people. You have to make, you have to make jokes that sort of make, if you want to make fun of things, make fun of like everything together, including yourself. So when I, when I do these, I'm trying to think like, you know, the, the dopey people in my cartoons, they're me, you know, and they're not specific targets. Um, and the, you know, and those, those jokes, like Huckabee jokes are so specific, um, that they just, you know, I, I don't, I, I just don't find that funny, but they're also, there's sort of a, I don't know, there's a, you can't do humor that has like a mean spirited underlayer. I just, yeah, the whole cliche about punching up, punching down, that kind of thing. I mean, it, right. it's, that's for a reason because it, it, if something seems funny, but it's easy because you're, you're knocking somebody who's maybe having a hard time or whatever, then that's not funny. That's just, you right. know, Me. people, people want to, people want to participate in the humor, not see it from a distance and see you making fun of somebody. So it's, 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 it's gotta be nice, you know, like, and I don't mean that. In a prudish way, like it, like I, I love humor that uses, like I mean, like Louis C.K. stuff, you know, despite what he turned out to be. God rest his soul. God rest, God rest his soul. His soul. <laughs> um, but you know, he was good at using like the f word. I mean, I, I, you know, you can you can swear a lot and still be funny. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think swearing is funny, but you can swear a lot and be funny. And um, so I, I don't have a problem with like language and stuff. It's, but it, but the underlying thing has to be not mean spirited. I think, right. Um, you, uh, today's strip. So it's April 9th today. And your strip today is a cat standing at the door, looking at a, at a, at a woman, a cat at the door of a woman. And it says, uh, the cat is saying to the woman, I didn't really want to come inside. I just wanted to give you, uh, I just wanted you to give me the option. And beneath it, it says, uh, fake news. And mm -hmm. which is very funny. Actually, my wife, Catherine just laughed in the background. Do you, oh, thank you. She's a huge fan. And, um, <laughs> You do touch on political stuff in a very sort of subtle way. You're not, I don't think you've ever expressed outwardly in your work, you know, what you right. think about certain leaders or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's another strip from a few years ago where you have a guy at a bookstore and it's political science. He's looking, he's in a section, political science. And next to that section is politicized science. And it's a bunch of books, you know, stem cell research, the morning after pill, global warming. Um, mm -hmm. We live in a super weird time. 
obviously. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no, it seems like Trump, Trump's hair, Trump's language, Trump's follies could give you a million things if you wanted to, to touch on. Are you ever tempted or is it just, there's no benefit for me doing that? There, yeah, there's no, there's no benefit. I mean, um, obviously he's, he's great fodder. Um, well, I mean, He's better fodder than most presidents. All, all presidents are, have fodder, obviously, mm-hmm. and, all, and all all current topics have. That's, I mean, that's the that's the trick. Is like if you're a political cartoonist, then you've always got subject matter because it's always changing, and that's that's your job. Um, for me, it's you know, if, I have lots of opinions, obviously, but I, I have no desire to alienate half my readers. You know, they right. don't, and they don't care what my opinions are. My political opinions are. They're not they're not reading Speed Bump to know what I think about Donald Trump. Um, so the, the, the sort of slightly political things I, I will put in there, I, I try not to have them be, um, not partisan really. Um, I think I did one about healthcare a few weeks ago, yeah. but, but it wasn't, it wasn't like saying we should do this with healthcare. We should do that with healthcare. We should, basically it was just saying like the healthcare system kind of sucks. I'm, you know, no, I'm not offering a solution. I'm not saying who ruined it. I'm not saying anything about it. Of course, people got angry about it because you can't even bring it up without people assuming that you're saying one thing or another. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of a, a little, I knew that was going to come. I mean, if I, but you know, I just try and it's, I'm trying to stay relevant without, without being too specific to topics, you know, I, it, because like you said, with all the things going on right now, I mean, that's what people are talking about. So it's, it's hard to avoid everything because, um, it's, it's the, the political climate is sort of smothering lots of other things you could be talking about. Um, so I, I try and, you know, I, I'm not trying to do pablum, but I'm, but I'm trying to just sort of like give people a five second break <laughs> from, from all the crap going on. You know, it's like people read the comics and they read them quick and they read them just to sort of like, well, here, just for example, so I was at a, I was at a presentation last, um, uh, I did a panel discussion last week down in Indiana and it was, it was surreal because on the, on the panel was, besides me was, um, Mary McDonough, the, who was Aaron on the Waltons, um, Jessica Lynch, the first female POW, um, Bud Alley, uh, who was in the, in the Vietnam War and, you know, um, Injured in the Vietnam War, and in the, there's a movie called We Were Soldiers that's out now. That's about that, about his troop. And then um, another wounded, another wounded vet from Iraq, uh, Greg Burrier. And so we had this panel discussion, and it was like it was so heavy. I mean, it was it was totally fascinating and hearing the stories and seeing Jessica Lynch's rescue on video. And, and I'm just sitting there going like, <laughs> like, like, what am I doing here? You know, they all <laughs> talked about what they do, and um, so it was my turn to speak, and and. And it was, it turned out like I was the comic relief because if, if, if I had been another wounded soldier, it would just, would have been this really, it would have been a whole different kind of talk. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why they wanted me there. And so I, I felt like that's kind of what I do just in general, you know, like that's, you read the comics and you, you, you just want to like think about something else for five seconds or just lighten up for five seconds. You know, that's, that's pretty much what it is. And so that's, that's my, I, I realized that that's my job. Um, and so I'm not trying to be something that, that people don't want me to be. And, and I love my job. So I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining about that at all. I love, I love coming up with these cartoons. So I just don't want to like, you know, it'd be like you're writing books and and like you're writing the USFL USFL book and then you're halfway through it and you think, you know what, I can really turn this whole book into a treatise on like Homer's Odyssey. Let's just, let's just go that direction. (laughs) <laughs> Cause that's that, you know, I think that sounds really smart and good. And, and that's what I want to do. And be like, no, that's not what you're writing. That's, right. you know, that would be the, that'd be the wrong thing to do, even if you wanted to do it. So I actually did that. So I'm a little offended that you don't like that idea <laughs> because I actually, when I told you it two weeks ago, you thought that was brilliant. Now you kind of, I'm going to go to Amazon and cancel my order for the, for the book. <laughs> um, let me ask you one more thing here. All right. Well, I have two more, but, um, yeah. how, um, how much, how much thought do you put into the specific, specific word choice? Like, like just real quick as an example, I'm looking at a strip uh, from a bunch of years ago. It's two horses and uh, the one horse has a zebra leg. He's a brown horse, except he has a zebra leg. And he says, I can't say I'm entirely pleased with my hip replacement. Um, mm-hmm. Little things like uh, entirely, instead of yeah. saying, I can't say I'm pleased with my hip replacement. I can't say I'm entirely pleased. Little things like that. 
I can't instead of I cannot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how how much attention are you putting into each word when you write the strip? <laughs> Way too much. I like yeah. that is that's such a great question. And, and I'm sure you do the exact same thing. It's just like I, I once I get the idea and I know it's it's a I know I'm going to do the idea. Then that's when it's like, OK, I want this to be exactly it has to it has to sound funny. Like there has to there has to be sort of that marriage between the um the words and the art. And so th- just the fact that the horse is saying entirely is to me is funnier than than not saying it. So you're when you're even when you're editing it doesn't always mean you're you're shrinking it. You know, it's a lot of editing is just sort of getting the exact right word choice. Uh and so it, and it goes back to like I I just thought that sounded funnier because you know like the horse could have been sort of pleased or, you know, they're, they're like, it, it sort of opens up the option that there were like different levels of, um, of happiness the horse could have had with that procedure. You know, it's just, right. you know, it, but you don't think that when you're reading it, it's just like, you know, you want the horse to have, and this, the other thing is like when you do these cartoons is you're setting up an entire world for, for one second. Like this is like the location, everything about it. And so then the horse has to have some, some sort of personality. Uh, so that's the, so it makes it feel like a much more, even more specific horse is saying this than just like any old horse. You know, this is, this horse might have a name and, you know, and then, and then you, you're setting up the sort of whole idea that this is like these single panel cartoons are also in some ways they're animations because there was a whole, uh, whole situation that happened there. My, and my job is to sort of push the pause button on that because, you know, the whole idea that the horse went in for the operation, needed the operation, you know, came out of it. And then it led to this point where, you know, where he's like telling somebody else. It might not even be the first person he ever told they didn't like the operation. So it's, you know, you're trying to set this whole world in one little, in one little square. And so does it work? Does it work without entirely? If, if he's just saying, I can't say I'm pleased with my hip replacement. Does it still work? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think that still works. I just, I just think it's funnier. That's, that's that, that to me is funnier. I mean, uh, somebody else might think like, oh, that's just like an extra word. Right. But to me, it's, to me, it's funnier. And obviously, like, I don't know if it's funnier to you, but the fact that you picked up on that is, is really interesting because that's, you know, probably a lot of people who aren't writers wouldn't, that wouldn't even occur to them. But you, you know, you obviously spend so much time parsing I have words no life. And- like you. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't live near each other. We just be like in cafes and stuff. Yeah, seriously. Um, let me ask you a final thing. I asked you, um, before we did this, maybe an hour before we started recording, I asked you if you've ever, if you have any examples of strips that you did, and then you were like, eh, not that good after you did it. And you're like, oh, a gazillion of them. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you sent me one just as an example, which is two mice looking over floor plans. And the one mouse says the other mouse, we're putting on a subtraction. And, uh, you know, it's, it's his mouse hole being sort of cut in half or reduced. Um, yeah. how often after you do a strip, do you, do you know, or how long does it take for you to realize eh, that really wasn't that good? Well, I, the, it's hard to say because I like, I, the only time I ever read my own work after it's done is if I have to put together a presentation or something, I have to go through and choose cartoons oh, to use. Um, I don't like, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I, would, I just don't go back and read. <laughs> I definitely don't right. read them for pleasure. You know, I it's like, uh, I, I, um, but when I have to go through them and I see something like that, um, you know, it's like sometimes you, I, like I'll have an idea and it seems really good in my head and then I'll draw it and it's just, it didn't translate like I thought it was going to translate. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of rare because I, I do little sketches and then I, and I kind of know if it's going to work, but every once in a while I do one. Um, and then, and then you can fool yourself too because like there are times you have an idea and then it's like, seems like a decent idea. Uh, and then, and then you end up doing like a drawing you're really happy with. And so it fools you into thinking it's like a really good cartoon idea, but it just was, it, but it was just kind of a good drawing. <laughs> it wasn't really a good cartoon, right. uh, which is a big difference. I mean, and, and cartoonists have a cliche that, uh, uh, a good idea can save a bad drawing, but a, but a good drawing can't save a bad idea. And, you oh, know, it's interesting. That, yeah. Well, it's it, 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 actually, I'm, I'm glad we got around to that because, um, we're talking about writing and cartooning is, you know, is 80%, if not more writing. The, the writing is by far the most important part of cartooning. And, uh, I always tell it to kids because they, they, they focus so much on the art and having it just like look 
great and all this kind of thing. But man, you got to have ideas. You got to be a writer. I mean, my, my degrees, my, my undergrad and my grad degrees are in creative writing and philosophy. Which just seems like, you know, like a really stupid thing to get a degree in <laughs> philosophy. So like, really? And my parents were like, really? Philosophy? All right, great. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good luck getting a job. But, um, but, you know, in hindsight, I didn't, I, like, I didn't do this on purpose, but in hindsight, um, conceptualizing and, uh, was a huge part of that. And it, and that degree actually really helped me. I mean, a part of the reason I got the degree is because I like doing that anyway, but just learning how to think is, is so much more important than almost anything when it comes to like a creative job. Um, you know, what was your work going to be about is more important than what the, it's the most important step of it is like, like, why are you doing it and what, and what's it going to be about? Well, what's interesting about that is I, um, when I was at Sports Illustrated, there was a really great writer named Gary Smith. And the thing I really learned from reading him and hearing things he said is the reporting, you know, you come up and you think, cause you can turn a quick phrase, you're going to be this great writer. And then you realize Mm. anybody can turn a quick phrase. It's, it's sort of how deeply you can report and extract information mm. and that anyone can write, you know, I'm, well, not anyone can write, but there are a million people who can write a quick phrase or a catchy something. But if you don't have the meat behind it, you're right. not really working with very much. And that, that seems like actually a pretty good parallel between what you're talking about. And, and yeah. It's like, sure. it's like all icing, all icing and no cake. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and that's uh yeah. Cause you, when you're, when you're reading something like that, you get like, you can actually get, um, you can read something and, and you get overly clevered. You know, it's like you're reading it and you, and you almost realize you're reading because it's so clever, but you're not actually getting a whole lot of information. You're not, right. you're not getting, yeah, you're not like, you're not satisfied at the end. You're just sort of, you're impressed, but you're not satisfied. Exactly. Well said. Uh, well, Dave, you have, um, you have officially survived. You're officially <laughs> the 45th member of this illustrious fraternity known as Two Riders Slinging Yang. I really appreciate you doing this. This is, this is like a treat for me completely. Oh man. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for asking. This is, I mean, really, it's an honor to do this. And it's a, it's a blast to talk to you and have it recorded for all time. I want to thank today's guest, Dave Coverley, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can visit Dave's website at speedbump.com and follow him on Twitter at speedbumpcomic. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, king of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at www.503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on iTunes and Google Play. And reviews are always appreciated. Music is from MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.